John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. Have access entry 1353.gn2524, certificate number 29437. The Twins of Benin. To actually show that Igwara is a home of twins, there's a statue of a mother and her twins at the center of the community. You can see her carrying one at the front and the other at the back. So my understanding is that there, uh, there are some twins in your wife's family. Is that right? Are, are they twin producers? How did you know this? How uh, did you find this out? She and I are carrying on a separate correspondence about about her family and what's and going on in her life. I she feels kind of isolated in your marriage, <laughs> <laughs> but also she has a lot of twins in her in-laws' family. They I, never come over though. They're all afraid of you. When I knew we were talking about twins today, I had some vague memory that she comes from a, and I'm interested in the heredity of twins, which I assume will come up today. So I wanted to find out if she came from a family of twins. Right. It turns out I misremembered because she's quite isolated in our marriage <sighs> and we never speak. <laughs> it turns out it's her aunt's family, uh, who she's only related to by marriage. Oh, I see. An aunt who married her blood related uncle. But they do have twins in her aunt's family. Yes. She has a set of cousins that are twins and her aunt who gave birth to those cousins has siblings who are twins and it goes, all the way back. I think people in twin families know that they have the gene and that they are likely to have this delightful, freakish thing happen to them. It would seem that they would know. But they're always... Before other people would know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm saying is in the event of a pregnancy, they might be steeled for the possibility. Oh, I see. They might know, hey, most people, the twin, what's, what are the odds of a twin live birth in the United States with no fertility uh, monkeying around. Do you know? I do. Uh, and y we think of twins, we conflate identical twins and fraternal twins. I don't. Um, Please don't include me in that we. Okay. But, but in asking the question, what is the frequency of twins? It is very Kenneth, different. Can you ask me what's the frequency of twins, Kenneth? What's the, you, you're really pandering to the, to the Facebook community because every time we make any kind of frequency reference, Somebody is mad that I didn't say what's the frequency, Kenneth. I didn't do it in the last winter. Well, you're the, you're the one who, when you said you were going to be talking about Benin, you started singing the best REM song about Benin. I did. I did. Let's again, the be Benin again. Yeah. Benin, Benin. Yeah, the insurgency began and you missed it, Kenneth. I did miss it. 
Uh, but identical twins are a mutation, uh, in a sense, a birth defect. And so the rate of identical twins worldwide is steady at three and a half or four live births per thousand. That's very low. It is. There are not that many identical twins, but fraternal twins. I just want to say that I had a set of identical twins in my uh, elementary school. And of course they were celebrities because they were identical twins. And then one summer I was in the States and I turned on the TV and they were doing a Snickers commercial. The, really? The, the twins, the freckled twins from my elementary school were like, on a hot day, I like to eat a Snickers fresh out of the icebox. And I realized these girls must have been the most redheaded, freckly, raggedy Annie twins in America, and they got the Snickers commercial. Wow, how awesome. Think how the world just delivered to you on a platter if you're an identical twin. You know, my best friends in elementary school uh, were twins, Thomas and Peter. They're uh, Identical? or They were identical twins. Their parents were from Germany. Their father was a doctor. And uh, they were fascinating to me, not... Uh, they weren't really fascinating as twins because I could tell them apart. They didn't look anything alike to me. Yeah, I remember that about the twins in my classes. The kids are not actually hoodwinked. Yeah, no, I mean, you could tell Thomas and Peter apart at a distance. But they were fascinating because in their home, they spoke a complete pastiche of German and English. I thought you were going to say and some awful twin language that they made uh, oh, up in the womb. Language. They didn't really speak a twin language, no, but they would come in and out of German talking to their parents. They never really did it with each other. But when we were in their house, they'd be chattering along in German and switch over into English and back five times in a conversation. And for me, that was just like so fascinating. So cool. Was that the root of your later treks across Central Europe? You're just trying just to like, recapture the, that feeling? Just trying to get, get back to the Kluge household. They, their father also had, he was an early adopter of the, I think originally N-scale model trains. So these little- these Are little, they very small? Very, very small. So he had a whole train set, but made out of these tiny little German- trains that, and it was very intricate. And That's cool. Cause instead of a, a big table in your basement, you can just basically have an ottoman. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, and the whole thing just happens on this little tiny, it was a cool enough train set that it was still big, but it wasn't big, like an HO train set where you need a special room in your house to have one. I've but always thought twins were cool. I have two. And I, I don't I, like this meme that they're creepy or they're in haunted hotels. Right. Uh, you know, speaking in unison, like I always Maybe it's just because my generation came up with a bunch of double mint ads. Yep. And um, I think there was some sitcom with a pair of twins. And then later the Olsen twins, of course. Like we think twins are all American and delightful if you're my age. They are identical twins. Fraternal twins are often really hard to, to yeah, identify as twins. There can be a, a two different sexes. And there were twins, there were fraternal twins in my daughter's preschool, both girls, but one was twice the size of the other one. Like they looked nothing alike and they, their personalities were so different. They were, they were completely charming. Well, sure. That's the premise for the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Danny DeVito comedy well, of twins. Of course, twins. It was probably based on these girls from your, from your school. I didn't actually see that movie because I pretty much got the plot from the poster. I don't even know. I, I've seen it and I can't remember if they're actually twins or not. Yeah, there you go. I think that, they are. <laughs> that's pretty much what I guess. <laughs> but the rate of fraternal twins varies considerably from... Uh, region to region. Really? And from time to time. So although the... the Like time of day? Not from time of day, like but from you, era. If you conceive in the morning, <laughs> nursemaids take warning. 
Uh, yeah, if you conceive standing up in a hotel room <laughs> on the outskirts of Vegas. You're going to give birth to haunted twins who much, speak in unison. Much more likely to, to have your twins live in a hotel by themselves. Red rum. And so there's a lot of speculation about why the rate of fraternal twindom varies so much because, of course, this is one of the many things that humans divert themselves with. Like, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Perhaps it will be some clue as to why other things happen. But it does seem like a very obvious, mysterious thing. Like, the one thing we know about childbirth is a baby comes out. But what if not? What if two babies come out? Like, that's a headline grabber in any era. It is, and it coincides with a kind of, I mean, ancient idea that survives into modern times even universally, which is that there is a way to predict What's going to happen? Yeah, when my daughter was in the womb, before her uh, sex was identified, everyone in my family was certain that they knew what her sex would be because of things, because of signs they had seen, because they could tell, they could, and I, I have to say, it was never men that said this, but it was always grandmothers and my daughter's mother herself who could just feel, they could just tell that it was a little boy. I don't and, like the phrase old wives' tale. It seems problematic to me. Yeah. But well, it seems like in this case. In, the, in this case. Uh, and there was so much certainty in my family that I had no choice but to believe I was going to have a little boy because even being undecided wasn't acceptable. Everybody was like, don't worry, you're having a little boy. And then when it was, when she was shown to be a little girl, everyone just sort of quietly started looking at their shoes and all wandered off and we never mentioned it again. This is this is uh, after the sonogram but still in utero. They were these people yeah. were disproved yeah, and they, it was just like, "Well, it's a little girl, sorry." And they I've been, there was no, a little bit of like, "Can it. you check again?" We were quite certain. Um but that's I think true universally. Right? It, even though if there was a way for people to tell what the sex of a child was because uh, through some outside method, right? You, our lives would be very different. If you could look at a pregnant lady and say, oh, she's going to have a boy, or if she could tell herself, it would have a profound effect, I think, on um, populations everywhere. Are you talking about what it would do society-wide if people could be more selective about gender? I like, mean, uh, in, there's, a, there's a phenomenon you see in Asia where sons are more desirable than daughters, and you actually have pregnancies being, well, when, when China had its, had its one-child policy. Right. Uh, pregnancies were terminated because if you're going to have one child, it's got to be a son. That's way better. That's a, that's a rational choice. You know, the son that'll support you in your old age. Not just China. That's true in India and and in Africa. And true. I mean, infanticide uh, and killing female children is common, kind of worldwide. Also, um, in untouched or in, in cultures that haven't, you know, adopted a science based understanding of. Which is not great the for value the value of both genders. Which is not great for the infant baby girl, but um, not great for society in aggregate once you get some 56, 44 gender balance either. <laughs> right. And that's when everything goes to well, hell you, and all the boys start blowing stuff up. Yeah, you know what's good then? A war. A nice <laughs> cleansing war. That'll solve everything. Uh, but of course, once you realize that rates of twins vary considerably around the world, it would uh, it only naturally follows that people would want to know where uh, there are more twins and where there are fewer twins. So they can move there. Uh, or so they can write it down in a book and go to the World Health Organization and have a study and get tenure at their university and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and it was, I think for a long time, 
dis- discovering what the rate of twin births was in any given place re- was dependent on accurate record keeping of live births, right? You, sure. And so, That's why we say Minnesota twins. The they, Minnesota they've got the Mayo twins. Clinic there. They've got good health care. We know that in Minnesota, there's a lot of twins. Everyone in Minnesota is a Virgo. <laughs> it's weird. A lot of it's people a, don't know that. It's another, another reason. 11 months of the year go by, not a child is born in Minnesota. <laughs> and then Virgo, Virgo season. Fill the hall. If you're hospitals. an OBGYN, you just do not sleep. <laughs> right. It's like being a tax accountant uh, during tax season, right? You, all year long, you just push papers around. And then. It's like, yeah, it's like H&R Block, but for OBs. Yeah. It just occurred to me, you probably meant Gemini. Or Gemini. Oh, Gemini. Are those, is that the twins? What are, what is, is, that what are the Virgos? I only know this because I'm Gemini. Aren't the Virgos? Virgos are virgins. Oh, I right. mean, not all of them, obviously. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I'm a Virgo and I have no idea what my astrological sign is. It's, Isn't it's a, it's a maiden. A maiden. It's a young woman. It's, it's not a young two woman. maidens? No, just because you're into that does not mean it changes your <laughs> astrological sign to that. <laughs> okay. I meant Gemini. That makes it a lot funnier. Uh, I thought it was funnier when it was Virgo. It's like absurdist humor. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I really liked that. I may have said this in the omnibus. There's that running joke in A Hard Day's Night where they're always saying that uh, Paul's grandfather is a a very clean old man. Hey, pardon me for asking, but who's that little old man? What little old man? That little old man. Oh, that one, that's my grandfather. That's not your grandfather. It is, you know. But I've seen your grandfather. He lives in your house. Oh, that's my other grandfather, but he's my grandfather as well. How do you reckon that one out? Well, everyone's entitled to two, aren't they? And it's my other one. He's a nice old man, isn't he? He's very clean. And I thought that was a hilarious, absurd joke. And then I realized it was actually a reference to the British sitcom Steptoe and Son, which is the basis for our Sanford and Son, where the old junk man is often called a dirty old man. Mm. And it was played by... Uh, that same, same actor. So everyone knew that this guy was the dirty old man on their Sanford and Son. And so it's a hilarious oh, pop culture what a reference. nice inside joke. Of the 60s. I don't like I don't man. like knowing that. I loved that it was absurdist and weird. Isn't it much funnier yeah. before you oh, know? He's a clean old man. Yeah, so I just I just ruined it for you. I'm sorry. Boo. Boo. Well, it just makes Paul and John George and Ringo seem less smart and less funny. And Wilfred Bramble, who played the old man. It wasn't his fault. No, it wasn't his fault. It was written into the script. Um, so as record keeping improved globally, right. You're talking about where more versus fewer twins are born. Right. Uh, it just as there were, as there were more hospital births and more, um, and I'm, I, I, I'm and that's get, 20th century, even in the U S Jimmy yeah. Carter, first U S president born in a hospital because that was, it was routine for people to be born at home through the early 20th century. Sure. Is that right? Jimmy Carter was the first president born in a hospital. Yes. Yeah. All the rest were born in uh, not just a log cabin, 31, but the same, for... the same log cabin. Yeah, right. Lincoln's log cabin. They all, parents <laughs> would go on pilgrimages and give birth in the gift shop of Lincoln's log cabin and hope. my son becomes president. This will do it. <laughs> Think of all the people who had, who had children in that log cabin whose children did not ultimately become president. Grover Cleveland was born twice in that gift shop. Hmm. And lots of parents, of course, tried to conceive in the log cabin as well, but they were shown out by a dozen. <laughs> I had sex in Lincoln's cabin. I wasn't trying to conceive. It was just, you know, it was just convenient to the, the gift shop. The exhibits were boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so it was discovered in the 20th century and in, in, in recent times even that the incidence, incidence of twins. Twincidence. Was, the twincidence was dramatically 
more common in Central Africa. Interesting. In, in, and sort of centered in Benin and bordering Nigeria. Benin is a small West African country. Bordering a very large West African country. Which I was, uh, by the way, I was very fascinated with Benin uh, when I was like a very young kid because it had just changed its name from Dahomey. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was delightful. Dahomey and- uh, And Benin. Benin. It's, they sounded very exotic. And I've still never been to this place I fixated on as a kindergartner. When I was a kid, we, my friends and I really loved Equatorial Guinea. It was the smallest country in Africa and- It's got a funny name. We just thought it was so great, Equatorial Guinea. So Equatorial Guinea became our stand-in whenever we needed a place that was obscure or fun or where magical things happened. It sounds very much like the uh, the fake African country on the West Wing, which is Equatorial Kundu. Equatorial Kundu. So it does sound like, Equatorial Guinea sounds like someone invented a fake African country. Yeah. It neighbors Wakanda. <laughs> right. But it's more of kind of the average one where they don't have Corinthium or whatever. Also, I know quite a few Equatorial Guineans, if you ever want to meet one. How is that? Is it? Uh, it's, the, it was the, it's the only Spanish-speaking African country. It was kind of the... Uh, Although they do speak Spanish in portions of Morocco. That's true. Yes. Um, but, you know, leftover from uh, Sub-Saharan African colonial, c- colonialization. Mm-hmm. That's not the word. Uh, the o- really, the only Spanish-speaking outpost of, uh, you know, the only Spanish Africa is what's this today, Equatorial Guinea. And so when they emigrate to Europe, they emigrate to Spain. And so a lot of the Africans you run into in Spanish cities, you know, a lot of them are just English speakers from West Africa or whatever, but a lot of them are from Equatorial Guinea. And there they just call it Guinea. To them in Spain, Equatorial Guinea is the main Guinea because it was their Guinea. So these people are just Guineanos. Right. Uh, as opposed to Guineanos what Equatoriales. We, what, we call, what we call Guinea. Right. Is, um, Which was a Guinea-Bissau is a French colony. I think Guinea, or Portuguese colony. I think Guinea might have been a British? Uh, I think Dutch? I'm looking it up and I still don't know. French, French, it turns out. French. Well, it's it's interesting to me now, too, that in 20th century, like, uh, popular culture, it's somewhat common to invent a country in Africa. Right, the movie Coming to America has Zamunda. Right, um, it's it's not. I guess if you need if you need a place where um, it's really a sign of American geographical ignorance about the world in general, but about Africa in particular. That and also a lot of the names of countries in Africa changed in the 20th century. So That's all true. of the names of countries that my mother memorized in school in 1944. There's no more Betuana land. A lot of that, a lot of that went away, right? Right. Uh, so there is enough confusion that it feels like you could throw a Zamunda in there, and people, it, and it's plausible. Right. Uh, there are other parts of the world where that happens. We add Central European countries sometimes. If you put Ajan at the end of any word, basically, you could make a new country. Right. Little, little or Istan. And then little, little Latin American countries. Right. You know, you can make up a Caribbean island without too much trouble right. or some kind of troubled banana republic in Central America. These get invented for fictional purposes all the time. And it's a little bit, now that I'm, if I'm going to be woke about it, it's a little problematic because... You're essentially creating some kind of composite. You're saying that, yeah, all these countries are about the same. So here's a uh, San Cristobal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like all the other ones you know about. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> well, West Africa uh, and these uh, countries of Liberia, Cote d'Ivoire, Ghana, Togo, Benin, and especially Nigeria, 
um, they were also the, the they were the locale of the majority of the slave trade. Mm-hmm. Well, so maybe I'm jumping ahead, but does that mean the uh, population that became you know the ancestors of today's large African American population have some of this twin tendency? Uh, I don't think that that is documented. No, and in fact, I uh, even within Nigeria, m- a much greater portion of the transatlantic slave trade came out of the Igbo people rather than out of the Yoruba people. And twins are much more common within the Yoruba than they are the Igbo. So it's not, you know, just being from Nigeria doesn't mean, it it varies by tribe. So within Nigeria, which is a large country and a populous country, it has almost 200 million people now. More than any other country in Africa. And it has the largest city in Africa in the form of Lagos. Which I hear is maybe not a fun place to visit. It's growing even still. But uh, within Nigeria, there are f- over 500 ethnic groups and over 500 languages spoken. Wow. So Nigeria itself is the product of a colonial administration on the part of the British who came in and said, well, this is all very complicated, all these different groups, so why don't we draw a line around them hither? And really the line is going to be, you know, goes up to what the French claim, right? right. I mean, it goes up to how far the railroad went. It's not even know. a best guess as to what fits culture or anything. Right. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout Uh, and within nigeria there are i guess you would say kind of three main ethnic groups. There's the Hausa who are kind of the largest ethnic group within Nigeria. And also they, they take up the sort of entire North of Nigeria and they are predominantly Muslim Mm -hmm. and predominantly from a culture that was very hierarchical. You know, they, the, the rule of the tribes typically came from a sort of a Sultan down to an Emir and people were used to having a, a very strong authority culturally. And so when the British came in, they realized that they didn't have to set up a colonial administration. It was kind of like in India. There was already an administration. They could co-opt the Rajas. And all they had to do was influence the Sultan or direct the edicts from the Sultan and the people would just follow their, their normal pattern. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss, but wears monocles. And that had ramifications then even after, well, obviously there are a lot of ramifications of colonialism <laughs> wait, after the colonial wait, period is, is, is over. Is that true? Yeah. Let me, let me break it to you. I've seen Black Panther. I feel like I'm up on some of these things. But the people in the North of Nigeria are much, much less likely to speak English, much, much less likely to have adopted 
sort of British norms and also like adopted British education forms, you know, they're less likely to have, have pursued a kind of Westernization. Hmm. Then down in the South on the, in the coastal areas, the two main groups I mentioned already, the Yoruba who are to the West, the sort of, it's almost divided. Nigeria is divided into thirds, according to these three ethnic groups, the entire top half is um the house are like a Hausa, right and then the bottom two thirds uh, to the left facing or on the west hand side are the yoruba uh, and on the right are the igbo and on the right <laughs> or to the to the, <laughs> or to the east <laughs> to the east if you turn the, the map upside down it's to the left um and the yoruba and the igbo have very different cultures i mean although maybe more similar they uh the igbo are are typically very Christian. And I mean, I'm making broad generalizations here because even within these territories, I mean, there are you said there's 500 498 so, yeah. other ethnic groups, but they kind of, they generally break out and identify in these general ways. And the Igbo territory is very Christian and they had a, um, I think of, of the three main groups, the Igbo had a, a much more democratic culture within their tribal society. So they weren't as hierarchical. And the Yoruba uh, were more hierarchical, but it was based in, in family groups. So these three... In, in the 60s, there was a civil war, right? The, the Igbo tried to set up their own secessionist state of Biafra, of Biafra right. which did not last. The Biafran civil war was, um, was the result of the Igbo feeling like, well, so the Igbo, being very Christian, are extremely opposed to being ruled by Sharia law. And the majority of the population of Nigeria is Muslim in mm -hmm. the north. And they had this kind of centralized authority and were very interested in Sharia law being the law of Nigeria. So the Igbo felt marginalized and also felt like they were modern. I mean, they, they did adopt a lot of British colonial norms and education. They were, they're probably like, we're the smaller group that should be the ruling class. Right. They did look at Iraq and Rwanda. we we can do a thing. And they, uh, culturally already prized education and mercantilism. Mm. And so they adopted, you know, uh, capitalism, capitalism and democratic government. And so they were very resistant to being ruled by the North. They, they seceded, began a civil war. All of this, of course, being additionally influenced by the discovery of oil in the South and in uh, definitely in this Igbo region. And so uh, that was a big influence too. And for for a couple of years, they fought a pretty bummer war, and the Igbo were were on the losing side, and there suffered no Biafra today. Suffered terrible privation and and mass death. What was weird about the Biafran War is that the countries in the West and in the rest of Africa and in in the world, they lined up on one side or the other but really not what you would expect happening in 1967. Sure, you'd think it would be... The U.S. versus the yeah, Russians. The Western the Soviets, Europe Soviets. versus Warsaw Pact. But what happened was in, on the Nigerian side of the conflict, uh, they were supported by the U.S., the U.K., and the Soviet Union and Bulgaria, but also Ethiopia and Senegal. I mean, a lot of their neighbors... Um, it's like a World Cup bracket. But Biafra was supported by France, Israel, <laughs> Portugal, South Africa, Italy, the Pope, and China. 
So did they just draw lots? It or? was a crazy like world conflict and all of these different, you know, nations kind of provided material support. Was it economic interest? Was it like, was it just keeping an eye on the oil? Is that, is that where people were placing their bets? Yeah. And sort of previous colonial, uh, loyalties and you know, a lot, there was a lot going on, very complicated. And Biafra was a, was a, a terrible conflict. And ultimately the Igbo were reunited with the rest of Nigeria, somewhat un- no, the damage isn't entirely repaired, although there wasn't a genocide or anything. There was a lot of It was hurt. a huge humanitarian crisis, yeah. but... And it gave the name to Jello Biafra of the dead Kennedys. <laughs> That's, that was the main gift <laughs> to the world. <laughs> so anyway, within this northern, or I'm sorry, within this sort of southwestern region of Nigeria and edging into Benin... The non-Hausa part. There is this like anomalous bubble of twins. It's not literally a bubble, right? There's not a dome. There's not a dome of twins, no. Although Dome of Twins is the plot of the next <laughs> Mad Max movie. Two two twins enter, one twin leaves. But this is a region where the twin rates are what compared to the rest of the world? Well, so scales of measurement vary and it's why we should get the French in here and find a new, a new uh, form of Kelvin to describe what the percentage of twins is. A standard unit for twins. But the sense is that with a global average of about 13 twins per thousand, which is still pretty small number of twins. Um, in Benin, it's almost 30 twins per thousand. Two or three times as likely to have twins. Right. Now that's changing also because in the West, uh, artificial fertility drugs are increasing the number of twins. People will implant, you know, multiple things can happen, but you can implant multiple eggs in hopes that, you know, one will be fertilized and then you'll actually have multiple births and you'll decide to keep them for whatever religious or personal or family planning reasons. Right. I I have triplets for that. Mindy has triplet cousins for that reason. Oh, is that right? The triplets were conceived and then it was, yeah, it was. Let's just have triplets. Let's have as many as we can. I guess. It's, it's irony. It's really feast or famine because these are people who can't have kids and then, well, how about three? (laughs) So twinning is changing, but there's a lot of speculation as to what, because there isn't a ton of Technologically, there isn't a lot of artificial fertility work happening in Central Africa. Right. This all seems to be baked into, I guess, heredity. Do we think it's genetics? Well, so there was, uh, there were a lot of theories. Um, some of them, like, derived from a time when phrenology was popular. But, but what if everywhere in the West has this should have that same number of twins? But because we're more warlike people, they're always just killing each other in utero. Well, and there is a difference in the number of twins conceived and the number of twins born, That's right? A, because, right yeah. because twins don't thrive at the same rate as non-twins. Also, there seems to be a correlation between the age of the mother. You're more likely to have twins as the mother gets older, up to about 38 or 40 years old, and then it starts to decline. Well, then you could certainly see why a place with less access to contraception, where women continue to give birth older could have a higher twin rate, right? Right. Although there's also a correlation between how tall you are, how tall the mother is and how likely she is to have twins. I just have to know which way this goes. The taller you are, the more likely you are to have twins. That makes sense. You've got a lot of, uh, you got a lot of room. Well, so there. What about birth order? I'm very interested in this phenomenon whereby we now know that the more kids you, the more sons you have, 
the more likely one is to turn out to be gay right. um, later in life. The more children you have, the more likely your subsequent children will be twins. Is that right? Yeah. So again, big families, someplace like uh, Benin, I guess. Benin. Or- uh, or Salt Lake City. Massachusetts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Some places with a lot of Catholics or Mormons. You have a lot of younger twins who are also gay. <laughs> uh, it is our nature or it's our instinct, I think, to imagine that twins are going to be the result of affluence. The more able you are to mm. care for a large family, the more able you are to care for two babies at once, the more likely you would be to have twins. And so... If your mother is taller and a little bit older, it sort of naturally follows that she would be more established and more likely to have children. And also it would seem that if there was an abundance of food. You're just saying evolutionarily, the gene that creates twins would go away or would be stronger in uh, people who could propagate it by being more fit for it. Right. And so that was for a long time sort of a scientific theory. But of course, the People in Benin and Central Africa tend to live very agrarian lifestyles and very, you know, hand to mouth. It's not, it's, you wouldn't describe it as a, an area right. with a proliferation of If I was the god of, of twins being like, where do I put these twins? Right. You would put them in Denmark. <laughs> um, and now with fertility drugs, they, <laughs> that's, the, that's it is, where they're going. it is rising in Denmark. So then there was some speculation that the, because one of the main elements of the diet of this region is the cassava root, a kind of yam, and the people of the region all kind of feel like it's the yam. There's oh, that's, something that's in the their, cassava. That's their folk belief. Yeah. Of course we have twins. She ate, she ate a lot of cassava. And a lot of science has been thrown at the idea that it's yams, that there's a correlation, but no one has been able to do develop a definitive link. Well, we eat most of our yams in late November, which right. means you just have to look at the numbers to see if in the U.S. a lot of- A lot of July babies or, or, or August, August yeah. babies. If you have more twins in uh, late summer as a result of all the November yams. That's yam kind eaten. of the only time we eat yams, right? I mean, do you eat any spring yams? I don't, I don't even like yams <laughs> that much. Do you whelp the spring yam? Maybe we are- um, Diluting its potency by putting marshmallows and brown sugar on it. Ah, uh, yeah. Because they probably don't have, uh, you know, craft marshmallows in uh, Benin. Well, I don't know. That's not a thing that you and I have enough information <laughs> about. I suppose we could Google it, but that would be a long Google. I'm going to suspect they do not have s'mores. Long Goog. <laughs> yeah, although, you know, although like organizations that donate food to Africa, <laughs> right. probably like small marshmallows are, are make up a big portion of that. It does seem like the weird thing that gets donated to a food drive. Right. And so, hey, here are the poor. Enjoy these. This canned salmon and <laughs> yams. Feed the <laughs> world. Here's some clam chowder. So, uh, the, but the incidence of twins in this area is not something new. It's been true for since long, as long before. As long as we had history, people were like, yeah. the early visitors were like, these villages have a ton of twins. Yeah, from long before the colonial era. Oh, even before Europeans visited. Yes, because twins are, they play a big role in the the local culture, in the religious aspect of the culture, which, oh, which is so. kind of animist and, you know, a, a traditional African religion. In the Igbo region, uh, as I said before, they adopted Christianity very strongly, but the Yoruba maintain a kind of uh, fluid religiosity. Um, so there is a lot of Christianity there. There's also Islam, 
but there's also a lot of traditional practice. And with, to this day. To this day. And within those traditional practices, practices. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the plural of practice. <laughs> it's one practices. Or two practices. <laughs> two practici. Uh, twins are seen as a, a real blessing. They're regarded as two souls combined into one, four eyes can penetrate the garment that lies between us and the other world. Oh, they have supernatural powers have supernatural by virtue powers. of, uh, that's something that's not unique to Africa. I mean, even in, even in the United States in the 20th century, we still have the remnants of superstitions about people with red hair or, you know, you got to mm -hmm. tousle somebody's red hair or, or I think baseball teams used to have like a little person, a dwarf that, you know, you would touch for good luck. Which is, you know, a way to objectify dwarves by making them into vehicles for home runs and ground rule doubles. There was an awful lot of objectification of little people in the past. But the idea is that if anyone's unusual, it must be the universe trying to tell you something and we must harness mm -hmm. their power either for good or for ill. That's true, certainly, of a lot of other kind of anomalous people in, uh, like children in Africa, like, like, um... Oh, albinos too. Albinos. In or, movies, albinos are always, it's always the other way around. They're evil uh, assassins or henchmen or something. Well, and that is, that's often the case here. It isn't, a, some tribes have twins as, as an unmitigated blessing, but there's Yay, a lot twins. of, there's a lot of feeling that twins are powerful and not always benign. Even in, even in Benin, they're not benign? In Benin the Benign, which is a Let's great... Benin again. <laughs> Benin the Benign. So a lot of the care that goes in and the, and the celebration of twins is also somewhat cautionary. They fear twins. A little. If they're fraternal, you could try to cover it up. You could go away for nine months and then come back with two kids and be like, yeah, they were... Uh, these are Irish, tr Irish twins, as they, we say in yeah, Benin. They all, they always, uh, I mean, I, I, there's not a ton, I don't think in, particularly in cultures where there isn't a lot of wealth of going away for nine <laughs> months and coming back. It's sort of like everybody knows when your baby's coming, but there were, you know, uh, among some, some people in Mali or Burkina Faso, there were ideas that twins were under the protection of river gods and they could walk on water and solve disputes and foretell the future. Some of these seem easy to test, easier to test than others. Like for, t you know, solving disputes, you might have to watch the twin in action and finally be like, yeah, he might be a little better than average. Yeah, he's pretty that, uh, good. He, uh, he told me where to put the fence, but the walking on water one seems very easy to disprove. Well, there's a lot, uh, there are a lot of rivers uh, shallow rivers, right? So walking on water, it's harder to prove. That's, that's what's propping up the legend. <laughs> there aren't a ton He's of waiting. Like, that's amazing. Not as many giant lakes to be like, okay, go ahead, walk on water. It's like, yeah, you, got, you made it across the river. And it is the Monty Python problem where the ones that don't survive, right. you know, well, it must've been a witch. Back to the drawing board. Or must not have been a witch. <laughs> right. Uh, and I think foretelling the future is probably easier in an agrarian economy where the same thing happens every year. Right, like I predict next summer will be warm. I predict we, you know, like it's not the, it wouldn't be the same as here where you would say, how much money am I going to make next month? You know? Well, even here in, in overeducated Seattle, how many people do you know who uh, read their horoscope and think that is so me? Right. That's, well, that's exactly what happened. Every single person I know thinks that they can mitigate or, you know, mitigate disputes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> there are every, every single person I know is a marriage counselor and a yenta and, all the rest besides. 
So in fact, there's a town in the Yoruba part of Nigeria called... The Twin Cities? No. Twin Indianapolis? No, neither thing. <laughs> Uh, they are called, uh, the town is called Igbo Ora, which to me at least is, um, is confusing. Is, is because Rita, it's, Rita Ora's sister, uh, twin sister. But it's also not in the Igbo part of the country at all. Oh. It's in the Yoruba part of the country, but it's called it's Igbo Ora. It's in Yoruba, Jamaica? So I can't, Aruba, <laughs> Igbo. It's so hard to hear the word Yoruba and not sing. Igbo the letter? So we don't know why it's called Igbo. Or I don't just, know why. And if is. any of our listeners are from Nigeria and can explain why this town in the Yoruba, well into the Yoruba part is called Igbo Ora, I would love to hear it. But Igbo Ara is, uh, is actually known as the twin capital of the world. And they have I, a, I love the idea that you might be driving into Igbo Ora and there's a big thing by the side of the road. You know, where instead of saying the artichoke capital, it says... Twin Town, USA. There literally is a giant sign <gasps> on the outside of Igbo Ora <gasps> that says, welcome to the twin capital of the world. I love this. Yeah. Take a twin, leave a twin. So if it's that localized, you know, genetics would get, uh, this is not isolated Iceland. The genetics of the people in Igbo Ora would get mixed up with surrounding regions very quickly. It, it must be some environmental factor, right? Still really unclear. Um, <sighs> you would think that it would be... You would think that famine would affect it. You would think that um, that Co cosmic what, rays. What did, it did, did, a, did a meteorite land here? Comic books have taught me how to look at these oh, things. Oh, that's right. It could be a meteorite. Is there some kind of well, they spider can, or snake or Babadook that keeps biting the people here? They can solve disputes. They can see into the future. <laughs> it, it, now you've got it. It's their mutants. They're probably some kind of mutant, but they all have the same power. So it's a very boring kind of X Men where they all have the same name. Well, they can all foretell the future and and, then, and, and walk on so water. It's not that it's not that interesting, right? I'll um, use my water walking powers. They're like, yeah, yeah, seen it. I know. We're all walking on water. Our whole town is built on water. Good news, professor. We found the new mutant. Do they foretell the future and mitigate disputes? <laughs> Long pause. Yes. <laughs> Call me when someone has laser eyes. Uh, well, so in the history of Nigeria, when so the the colonial period ended in 1960, and Nigeria became a became independent and it struggled, especially because of the, the competition and the conflict between these three major groups. Mm -hmm. And w there are other groups in Nigeria who, even though there are, they represent a smaller proportion of the population, that smaller proportion still numbers in the millions. Like our, uh, the ruler we most associate with Nigeria is good luck, Jonathan, um, who was the ruler of Nigeria for many years. Do we, do we just do that because of his awesome name? He's got an awesome name. He comes from down in the Niger River Delta, which was also an oil-rich area. And he's a member of the Ija tribe. And they're only 10% of the population. But again, that's like 4 million people. Right. Um, and they, they, had a, they had a really strong feeling of competition with, a lot, with all of their neighbors. Uh, and then way, way up in the north, the Kanuri tribe is the, uh, they're the sort of genesis area of Boko Haram whom we hear about oh, all the time. The, the, uh, the, the girl snatching. Yeah, the very strict Sunni Muslims in the north who, who are trying to impose a very, very strict brand of uh, Islamic law. And they're making incursions into Niger and a lot of the countries up in their region doing kind of what we would consider. And imposing awful genital mutilation and right, kidnapping. And, and, and stealing, stealing girls. Yeah. And that has prompted... Uh, U.S. military presence in Central Africa where there had never been before. 
so the U.S. Air Force started building bases, uh, one large one in Niger, where they fly drone flights down to northern Nigeria to to and up to Sudan and various you know various places where they're trying to do that Air Force business of combating Islamic militants. And how does that work? Like, what what are the optics of that? Are the people like, well, good, but at least Boko Haram will be kept in check? Or are people like, yeah, maybe we don't need an airbase, and so we have to pay off the government to... Uh... In general, most of the governments of these uh, the countries in this region do not like Boko Haram. Boko Haram is not, like, increasing the stability of the central governments of these nations. To me, Boko Haram is Haram. They are very Haram. Um, they are not Boko Halal. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully, there's Musician. Musician is the fun, easy, and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com slash start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. But also like in Niger, uh, which was formerly a French colony, there are already a lot of French Foreign Legion soldiers mm. there. So I was invited. That's a future omnibus entry, by the way. The French Foreign Legion. I'm absolutely doing the French Foreign Legion. A few years ago, I was invited by a uh, fan who also happened to be a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force to go to Niger to perform for his troops. And when he invited me, I said, I didn't know there were any Air Force troops in Niger. And he said, well, it's a new thing. And so I did. I flew with my friends, David Reese and Jonathan Colton to Niger. We played on an air base there. Was it good luck, Jonathan Colton? It was, no, it was, it was normal luck, Jonathan Colton. Uh, and then we flew to Burkina Faso and then across to Ethiopia where there is another U.S. drone base and then to Djibouti where there's a very large, one of the largest Navy bases in the world. And what was the twin situation? Uh, well, the, over there in Eastern Africa, just sort of a normal amount of twins. The expected amount. But as the, as the, the nation of Nigeria sort of uh, coalesced and tried to navigate all of these um, disputes and sort of internal internal problems. Disagreements. Um, the largest city, Lagos, is in the Yoruba part of Nigeria. And so it was natural that Lagos be the capital of Nigeria, but the Yoruba said, if Lagos is the capital, we are going to maintain its status as a Yoruba city. We're not going to allow it to become Jerusalem, an international city where... That seems a bit much. Well, Your national capital can't be Yoruba's only. That's right. They didn't want any mosques there or they didn't, or they wanted to manage the city sure. according to Yoruba. It's their cultural character. center. And so... Lagos is not the capital of Nigeria, spoilers. It is not because of this problem. Uh, after Lagos kind of performing that function for a long time, it was decided to build a new capital 
a Brasilia of... They did not call it Brasilia. I hope that would be confusing. It would be What if they called confusing. it Nigeria Ia? They followed the Brasilia model. <laughs> Nigeria Ia? It's, it's just very hard to say. <laughs> uh, no, they built a brand new sort of city in the very center of Nigeria. So a place that was considered neutral territory in between the three major quadrants, or I guess the tri, the triadrons. <laughs> what, what would you call? It's a trident, a trident. Like, like Aquaman has. But no, it's, <laughs> what is the, what is the, a tripartite, a tri? Um, you have halves, halves and you have quadrants. quadrants and in between them, you would have a third. Tripartite, <laughs> a tri, tr trifecta. I found the word. I found it in an old, uh, astronomical textbook a one-third of a circle 120 degrees is a trine a trine thank you so within the trine i'm sure there were i'm sure there were futurelings that were like ah because they have a three they have a, a trine of lobes to their brains right they do everything in base three They're like it's a trine my they've got trilateral uh, symmetry like the trilateral commission right who now that you've mentioned it are, we're now, are now be, being recorded. Yeah, we're being recorded and we're now in service to them. This whole episode is d dedicated to the Trilateral Commission and to H&R Block, who sponsor Ken. You guys do great work. <laughs> um, so this area right at the center of these three cloves of Nigeria was picked as the site of the new capital. And it this was, happens all the time. Like Ottawa, Canada, I think was essentially chosen as the capital so that neither Toronto nor Montreal would get pissed. Just right. let's just pick a village in between. Although it's a lot closer to Toronto. Actually, it's much closer to Montreal, Ken. Uh, and I know that because of uh, the trail of Timbits that I follow every time <laughs> from Montreal to Ottawa. There must, that must've been the closest Tim Hortons to the midpoint. So they had to put the capital there. Well, it, it's, uh, it's closer to Montreal, but it is not in French. It's not in Quebec. So it, Right. That's, makes that, the, that's how you're splitting the difference. Yeah, split I guess. the difference. Uh, so, so here they built a brand new city, Abuja, in the center of Nigeria, which was built very definitely to be inclusive of all tribes because this was an area that had no particular, it was not a particularly modernized or. It sounds you know, Abuji. It's a little abuji. It's very abuji. It's super abuji. Uh, it's built in modern architecture style. There were, you know, a, only a couple of architects, including a Japanese architect, sort of responsible for a lot of the style of it. It has a little bit of a Baghdad feel. Um, there are there are giant mosques and also giant Christian churches. Um, Does it have that kind of built feeling of uh, you know wide avenues yeah. and Albert Speer kind of a yeah it vibe? Does. And 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 because it's located in the center of Nigeria, uh, it has a fairly constant temperature of. 90 degrees. That's what you want. During the rainy season, I think it dips down to like 85 degrees. And during the hot season, it gets up to 98 degrees. But it's, um, by Central African standards, probably pretty moderate. You know, it doesn't seem like it is in the 120 degree with 100% humidity kind of world that like Minneapolis seems to be. Well, so like, to I mean, me. we picked someplace with an awful climate to be our capital too. You know, we, we could have oh, moved sure. the capital to San Diego, but we didn't. Sure. We put it in Swamp Town, USA. Um, is that the, is that the CB handle for uh, us? Swamp, well, we're heading off to Swamp Town, USA. Dun, dun. What do the truckers call Abuja? Uh, I, there, I have no idea. I don't know if there's a CB culture in Abuja. Because those truckers never took you across the Sahara like you wanted. No, and they would have been in like Scania trucks and they all spoke French. I, their, their their system of CB handles has to be something very different. Although we received a book today 
from a, a UK publisher that was describing all the cool CB culture and CB handles of UK truckers. So I already didn't know what Abuja has to do with twins. And right. I really don't know what, uh, what U- UK is, trucker British trucker culture has to do does. with twins. <laughs> Uh, no, we got a little far afield. What Abuja has to do with twins is that the twin story in Nigeria takes a little bit of a dark turn. Oh. Um, the tribes around the capital city of Abuja, which, by the way, is the fastest growing city in Africa, certainly, and I think maybe the world. It grows by over 100% a year. So people are, I mean, th- and that's a fairly new city. I mean, the city was only founded... Um, and founded on the site of an earlier village, but but really founded as a, as the modern capital in the early eighties. People are moving there for government jobs, and yeah. I'm sure increasingly companies are locating offices there. And countries gradually moved their embassies to Abuja from their consulates, formerly been in in, in, in Lagos. Lagos. Uh, but in the villages that are very near to Abuja, they still practice uh, traditional religious practices there those villages did not really come under the sway of uh, sort of the colonializing education and, and Christian religion, Christian religionization that was a product of the British years. And in that region specifically, although they have this same high twin rate, uh, twins are regarded as evil, evil spirits. They are, um, when twins are born, one of the twins is presumed to be the devil who has attached himself to the other twin. How do you choose which is the good twin and which is the evil twin? You don't. You kill both. Oh, wow. And so- I thought you were going to say that, you know, you turn it into a normal birth by somehow sinisterly getting rid of one of the twins. No. But no, they, they take no chances. They take no chances. They feel similarly about albinos, children with cleft palates- even going so far as to feel this way about children whose top teeth come in before their bottom teeth. Oh, well, that, that means you're, that's not infanticide anymore. Like, and I guess with an albino, you know right away, but... You're waiting with, until with the child these, has yeah, teeth. These are yeah. going to be four or five and six, and you're still... They're being executed? Yeah. The feeling that, 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 that they are bringing evil into the village and that it will have lasting repercussions is strong enough that the children traditionally were fed an elixir that was a poison. And in some cases, most cruelly, the two twins would be put into a pail. The two newborn twins put into a bucket covered with a leaf and taken off and left. Uh, in the, just in the wild in somewhere? In the wild somewhere to die. And that practice has been masked for a long time because of the isolation of these groups. But now that they are close to the, to the new the capital. The biggest city in the region. Uh, the word kind of started getting out. And um, so within Nigeria, there are groups of humanitarians who are trying to go into these regions and change this cultural practice. But of course, it's centuries, maybe millennia old, and very difficult to go in and proselytize you know, you, like you, the, the, the scariest thing to you, the thing you think is the worst twins is actually making you do what we think is the worst thing, which is, kill which is to kill babies right. in a pail. And so there's a, there was a, um, a, a humanitarian worker by the name of Stephen Olasola Ajayi. No, wait, Ajayi. Okay. Let me do that again. 
Olusola Ajayi, who discovered this and went in and started at least trying to rescue the children. So he would say to the village elder or the chief, don't kill the kids, just give them to me. I'll take them out of the village and away from you. I'll, I'll take away your curse. Uh, he started a, a group called the, or he started a place called the Vine Heritage Home, which would raise these twins. And they don't care if it's rescued. identical, fraternal, just the fact of being a, a, a Born multiple at the same birth time. is what scares them. Right. And uh, in a lot of cases, he would, uh, Stephen would offer to take the twins and the elder or the, the village would refuse. And it, it wasn't a case, or it, it persists, and it isn't always a case where the mother of the children protests because the, the feeling within the local culture is so strong that, this is, that twins are evil that the mother also doesn't want this association. Well, sure, the evil might be strongest on her own family. And there is a lot of then suspicion of mothers that give birth to twins. But of course, this is the region that has the highest incidence of twins in the world. So this affects a lot of people. And gradually, I think the humanitarian sense is that they are having success in at least taking some of the children away. And they're not, they're not encountering situations where they, they realize that twins have been born. They go to the village and say, we would like to take these twins. And the response is that the twins have disappeared or that they never, or what do you mean? Which twins, that type of thing. Is it, is it connected to uh, Christianity? Like, is this a, an uh, evangelizing? Because this is kind of a tricky topic. You're talking about the, general. the attempt to the, save the Yeah, the, the humanitarian efforts. Uh, you know, is there some attempt to cure it by baptizing animist villages out of existence? It's, this is kind of a tricky topic because yeah. we're uncomfortable with the idea of, uh, hey, this, uh, this one religious practice is actually clearly worse than this other one because, you know, this one's dumping virgins into volcanoes. Right. It, it, well, um, and this you have is, to get to a pretty extreme case before you can get someone to say, yeah, yeah, actually, uh, no, uh, clitorectomy is not valid religious practice or, or whatever it is. Right. That's been a long, a long-standing problem as we've become more and more conscious of cultural imperialism. At what point do you say this is uh, cultural imperialism and we abhor it or eschew it? And in another case, like female genital mutilation is a thing that we are going to try and intervene in local cultures and hopefully not try to counteract it with Christianity. But I, I was thinking that would go badly if, yeah. that, if that's the cure. I mean, that would go badly in the West uh, within, I mean, I'm sure Igbo evangelists think that that is the solution. But I think it might not go over well, great in the region as well. If the forces of, right. hey, let's teach you a better way are also tied with the better way is uh, imported European religion. Right. And on, in, in the Yoruba part of Nigeria, there there is a lot of fluidity of religion, religious practice. So there you could, you could conceivably be practicing Christianity and still believe in the kind of animist, uh, you know, feeling about twins that they have supernatural powers, just as the Germans oh. claim to be practicing um Christianity, but also go out into the woods and leave berries and fir boughs to their elk gods. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> they, they are always doing that. <laughs> so much paganism in Northern Europe. Scratch a Germ any German and you'll find a druid like a millimeter beneath <laughs> they, the skin. Have, they have a big cross uh, right on the front of the, the chapel. But as but, soon as people leave, it flips around <laughs> and it's just like holly and mistletoe. And Inside uh, there's a raccoon wearing a crown. <laughs> um, 
So this now this persists to this day, and and there is, I think, within the the woker uh, people within Nigeria, a feeling that you cannot just go in and, and and change this one belief because it is connected to an entire belief system. They often say that the twins they feel are witches or wizards, and you need to snip that off at the bud, get them out of the the culture because they'll just bring evil and evil upon the family. This is also true of children who kill the mother in childbirth, or if a mother dies in childbirth, Oh, that's often taken out on the kid. That child is also removed from the population. Do you think we could just import Harry Potter? Like, what if they all got really into Harry Potter and they're like, wizards? No. This is amazing. That's, I think that even in Salt Lake City, Harry Potter is looked askance at. (laughs) (laughs) Scholastic book fairs there are very small. (laughs) It's just Berenstain Bears. Wait a minute, no. They also are talking bears, very popular in Germany. <laughs> yeah, they, in Germany, they worship the Berenstein bears. <laughs> so the twinning or the, the, the preponderance of twins in Central Africa is for the most part kind of a wonderful and celebrated anomaly. And still a mystery. Still, still a mystery. We don't know what exactly is, we cannot, which, which tubers are causing it. Right. We cannot attribute it to anything other than a sort of general sense that it is genetically... Uh, transmitted. Yeah. Prevalent in this, in this particular population. But also there is this still a practice where the supernaturality of twins is seen not as, uh, not as good luck or even as uh, like a, like a fragile coexistence with supernatural beings who should be given lots of gifts. But instead these kids are being murdered. There's also a feeling that if one twin dies, and this is true throughout the the twin culture, that if one twin dies, they are they have they share a spirit with the other twin. We we have this in still in common practice in the US, the idea that twins have this kind of semi-telepathic ability to know what's up with each other, spooky action at a twin distance. Right. But when twins die within the tribal tradition of certain groups here, um Statues are made of them and they are believed to continue to live within, um, because they are, they're seen as immortal. And so the statues are fed and cared for, uh, and it's a kind of folk art, the, um, the twin statues of Central Africa. Well, as far as immortality goes, that's way better than a Snickers commercial. Nobody ever made a statue of me. I, you know, that is a form of immortality. You're the, the, uh, the niggle print that they just designed of your face where you look like Gary Newman, that will live on a long time after you die. I'm not a twin. I, I'd need this. You, you and your, your dark, the dark Ken of your, of your I think Nagel I, Newman. I think, yeah, Nagel Newman is the dark twin now. Yeah. I need to go put it in a pail and leave it in the woods somewhere. Where's my Nagel Newman? And that concludes The Twins of Benin, entry 1353.gn2524. Certificate number 29437 in the Omnibus. Listeners, we live in an age where social media is rampant, and probably it should all be taken out into the jungle and killed. But no, for now, it's everywhere. And as products of our... And we worship it as a supernatural, water-walking, future-telling... 
problem-solving gods. We build statues of our uh, Twitter avatars and put them atop our houses. Of Jack from Twitter, that great statue of him that... (laughs) Looking like... uh, with 40 stories tall. With the turtleneck and the beard. Have you seen the new Jack picture? Yeah, well, they're putting a statue of him on top of the Coit Tower. It's going to look great. It will. Um, Great from my my private electric helicopter as I fly past. I was uh, at Ken Jennings and John was at John Roderick on Twitter and in his case, Instagram. We were literally the only good things about these misbegotten, misguided hellscapes. Indisputable. Indisputable that that is true. Uh, As well as our joint account at Omnibus Project on any social media platform you can think of, even the hookup ones, even the gay hookup ones. We are everywhere. We also have a Facebook group, The Futurelings, devoted mostly to uh, nightmarish Nagel uh, pastiche art of me and John. Mm. Um... But but other pursuits, whatever strikes their fancy, they're a weird they're a weird mob. You can send but us weird email. in a really good way, like not a bunch of weirdos on Facebook that are passing around Pepe memes, but to, they're they're developing their own super no. complex. It's, it memes. is every time I every time I look at it, it is like looking through a microscope at a petri dish and being like, wow, they just invented fire. Now they've got cities. <laughs> like there is something crazy going on every time I look at the Facebook group. Yeah. And uh, people send us email with a. Uh, much desired feedback and commentary and complaints. We love that at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. We received physical mail. John was talking about the variety of postcards and beautifully calligraphed letters. And here's some kind of tongue-in-cheek Thai sex tourism pamphlet. I'm not sure if that's tongue-in-cheek. I feel like you might have actually been signed up for a... It's definitely tongue-in-cheek. I'm just not sure which cheeks is the problem. You think it might be mean-spirited? I'm just upset that I wasn't included. (laughs) (laughs) I will definitely, if that's actually an invitation, I will pass that along to you. Maybe the assumption is that I already have contacts in the Thai sex tourism industry, whereas you needed a formal I need a a leg up, so to speak. All right. Oof. Hang on. I didn't get that for tongue-in-cheek, but no, only for, for a leg up. A leg up. I, I'll overcome my normal prohibition. Uh, John alluded to this earlier, but a, talk. a British boutique publisher sent us copies of some of their delightful nonfiction books. One is a collection of uh, UFO art from mm-hmm. the National Archives. I guess Britons are not only drawing flying saucers, but sending their art to the Queen. Of course. That's what you do. Well, it's, it's, I'm going to draw a flying saucer, <laughs> and then I'm going to put it in the post. I say. To Buckingham Palace. I say. The Queen must see this immediately. <laughs> I saw a flying saucer. I mean, these are the people that know that the, the, the UFOs killed Princess Diana and Dodie. Right. right. Uh, oh, you know, that's crop circle central. Is the UK? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where Stonehenge is. That's, right. where I, that's where I would bring my crop circle making interplanetary craft. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. Oh, how they danced, the little children of Stonehenge. And this other book is about, as you mentioned, uh, the business cards that CB, British CB radio, I can't even believe I'm saying this, the British CB radio fans would give each other at meetups. Yeah, little, little cards that are like, it's me, the rubber duck. They would know each other's <laughs> handles. But when they eyeballed each other, which yeah. is what they would call it, mm-hmm. not a sex thing, they would give each other a card that says, you have just emailed Hound Dog, 1010, till we break again. Can you imagine these CB conversations in, in, in plummy British upper class accents? Yeah, right. That would be hey, amazing. Hey, Ben, this is a rubber duck. Eyeball, eyeball. You've just eyeballed Helter Skelter. You know, 1010, till we break again. I cannot imagine a sex act called eyeballing. It does not sound good. <laughs> that is not a thing I would like to engage in. 
So just for the record, that thing I just made up, John does not want to try with any of you. By the way, I love both of these books. And here's the problem, uh, boutique British publisher. You sent one of each, but Ken and I are a duality. We do not share one spirit. Or one library. We do not use four eyeballs to see through the gauzy curtain that separates us from the netherworld. We're going to have to have a draft. Which so of these would you choose? You and I are going to have to fight. Well, they, What if it turns out we both have a different favorite and it all works out perfectly? The thing is, they both belong with me, but I see where you might feel like you should have one. You can, because you're so good at mitigating disputes. Yeah, right. Let's get some twins in here. Let's see. To tell us how to cut the, the books in half. So, uh, British people drawing UFOs and sending them to the National Archive, or British people... Giving uh, each being other in, being in paper CB versions culture. of their CV handles <laughs> in the 70s. Talking about there's a Smokey up on the clover leaf, uh, and then bears were wall to wall. There's a Smokey on the roundabout? <laughs> uh, there's a Smokey up on the M5. Uh, I don't know. Well, I guess we, we could we could Rochambeau or we could rock scissors paper, whatever you called it. Scissors rock. Condorcet paradox. Paper. Uh, yeah, if you want to create more fights between me and John, because we do not have a set of uh, haunted magic twins to right. solve all our problems. And just, no guidelines on paper. Just send us undoubled items to <laughs> P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long the artificial borders of Africa and Asia and the Middle East that were imposed upon those places by colonial governments will survive. We don't know how long it'll be before twins actually have all the supernatural powers that right. they've been credited with. It could be that you are listening to this podcast from the independent nation of Catalonia. It could be that you are... Or Scotland. You are in the nation of Benin or the, the, the nation of Biafra or the nation of Begin or Equatorial Begin. Can you imagine the revolutionaries coming together and being like, Let's begin again. Yeah. Begin the begin. Yes, of course. There could be 500 separate nations within what is now Nigeria, or there could be a pan-Africa where all people see themselves as one giant uh, people of peace. But they're led from Wakanda for sure. For sure. I think I'm rooting for one planet, one people. What are you rooting for? Every single different ethnic group gets its own autonomous nation? Yeah, because then we'll call balkanization Nigeriaization. Ni Nigeriaization. We'll, have, we'll have to rename it because it'll be more balkanized than the Balkans. Well, we hope and pray that some resolution to this issue comes, and probably it will come in the form of a giant Cthulhu that wipes out all mammalian life. But if the worst comes soon... This recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. So if Providence, in the form of self-same Cthulhu, allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.